Merry Christmas and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast Channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you'd like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. This podcast is made possible due to the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com or you can text the amount of your contribution to 84321. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, continues with part two of our series, Original Christmas. Fired up for the next couple weeks here at Faith Church. I know you've already heard it mentioned, but I just want to continue to celebrate and put some expectation and excitement in the air. Again, um, next week is our Give the Gift of Faith offering. Again, I'm excited for the opportunity that we believe that God has opened up for us to step into Lawrenceburg. We literally have um, tens and hundreds of people that either attend or watch online or have visited. Um, Since we have made the announcement, we've had lots of people reach out to us and tell us how excited they are that we're coming. And so in 2018 in fall, we announced several weeks ago that we're going to be planning our first video venue campus. Um, We're going to talk more about details in February, but just right now, they're going to have a live pastor. They're going to have um, they're going to have uh, live worship. It'll be a church just like this one. We will broadcast the message from here to there, but we're excited about that. But it's going to take lots. It's, honestly, it's going to take several hundred thousand dollars to make this happen. We have to find property. We're not building. We're going to find um, a permanent place if possible or a portable venue, but we have to buy all the equipment to set up. We have to make the salaries happen. We're excited, though, what, what God's going to do, but we cannot do it without your help. So will you please pray Will you make some sacrifices? Will you bring your best offering next Sunday? Help us. If you love what's happened here at Faith Church, if it's been an influence in your life and in your family, then help us give the gift of faith to the Lawrenceburg community and to that area. And uh, we're excited for that again. Two weeks from today is our our Christmas services. I promise you they will be off the hook. Get some people here. It's going to be an incredible experience. I'm excited myself. I'm fired up for that weekend. So make sure again next weekend, give the gift of faith, special offering. If you're looking for a tax write-off, business owners, it's a great, great opportunity, man, for you to sell into something. And again, two weeks from today are Christmas services. Well, listen, we are in a brand new series. We started last week entitled Original Christmas. And what it's about is we're taking a look. 2,000 years ago, a significant event happened that a baby was born. Now, again, you have to ask the question, what's so important about a baby being born? And if you're new to church, that's a big question. If you've been in church for a while, obviously you think you know the answer right away. But I think the challenge is sometimes there's a disconnect, that we get so caught up in celebrating the Christmas season that sometimes we overlook the Christmas story and really what it means to us. And so we opened up last week with this. We said that the Christmas story is good news. Come on, everybody say good news. It's good news. And you say, where do you get that from? Well, it's not my opinion. The morning that Jesus, the Christ, was born, an angel showed up. I mean, anytime an angel shows up, right? I mean, I think that's a significant occasion. Angel showed up when I was born and when Jesus was born. An angel showed up and said this, I bring you, come on, say it, good news that will bring great joy to all people. So this angel shows up and says, hey, this, this moment is significant. This baby is important. And so it's really good news, and, but the reason sometimes we struggle to make that news good news, and not just good news, but our good news, is because we don't understand the other side. And the other side is this, that the good news is in response 
to bad news. What makes the good news of Jesus being born really good news is that it's told on the backdrop of bad news. And he said, what's the bad news? The angel goes on and tells us, he says, the Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And while that sounds like good news, the good news, bad news is this, is that all of us in this room needed a Savior. There are things in us we can't fix. Humanity is broken. We cannot legislate morality. Our only hope was for a Savior to come. We need saved. And that's the bad news. But the good news is that a Savior was sent in Christ. He came as a baby, God wrapped in humanity, and ultimately gave his life as a sacrifice for the sin of all humanity. So bad news is we needed a Savior. Good news is Christ was that Savior. I'm glad you all excited. You all got to give something today. It's going to be a good mess, I promise. But here's the thing is, after the angel makes this announcement, a whole choir of angels show up. That didn't happen at my birth. And the whole choir said this, glory to God in the, high, in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And we talked about what this means, that this idea of peace on earth wasn't God making us feel good. It wasn't God giving us warm fuzzies on the inside. That it wasn't about God doing something to our broken emotions. It was God doing something to our broken relationship. That the Bible very clearly tells us that because of our sin, we are broken in our relationship with God. We are distant and disconnected to our Creator because of sin, but because Christ came, because He was our Savior, because He died on the cross, we went from being foes to friends, from being outcasts to becoming children of the Most High God. That's incredible news. And so the way we ended this up last week was by saying this, that it was always God's plan to save humanity. Think about it. In the very beginning, God made a perfect creation God set in the middle of perfect creation, a perfect man, and had a perfect relationship with him. And in the middle of that, man and woman rebelled, rebelled against their creator, did things their own way. The Bible tells us sin entered into creation, disrupted the creation, and broke relationship with the creator. But God immediately had a plan to rescue humanity. Like this idea of a savior being born. It's not like one day God's like, hey, how do I fix this? A baby. And nine months later, pow. No, God, God always had a plan to rescue humanity. I love that. God saving you, God redeeming you, God making you his child was always in his heart, and you were always a part of his plan. But here's the reality is, and this is what I want to talk about a little bit today, is the gap between the declaration to save and the fruition of being a savior, there was a gap. There was a time between what God said he would do and what God actually did. There was, what I want to tell you today is the waiting game. Everybody say the waiting game. The waiting game is that season of waiting for God to come through, waiting for God to show up, waiting for God to be faithful, waiting for God to open a door. Because there's things that God has said to us and things that God has promised to us. And in that time that we wait, sometimes it's very difficult to wait. We hate to wait, don't we? We hate to wait for anything. We, we hate to wait in restaurants. We hate to wait for our food. We hate to wait in doctor's offices. We hate to wait. But one of the most, play, one of the most difficult times in waiting is waiting on God. Because it's in those times that waiting on God, especially the longer he takes, the more it stretches our faith. The more it raises questions like, God, where are you at? God, do you realize I'm here? Do you care what I'm going through? 
The longer we wait, the more uncomfortable we get. We hate to wait anywhere in life, but waiting on God is such a challenge for God to heal us, for God to deliver us, for God to open a door, for God to do something. Waiting is incredibly difficult because, again, it challenges our faith. Again, we hate to wait everywhere in life. Think about this. This past week, I had to get my car worked on. I tried to do it myself. I couldn't do it. Keep your judgment to yourself. And so I had to take it to um, a car place to get it worked on. Well, I already had an appointment at 3 o'clock to get my hair cut. I called this place, and they said they could get me in at 2 o'clock. So I showed up, and I said, listen, um, I got an appointment downtown at 3 o'clock. Are you guys sure you can get it done? It was a pretty simple job. I mean, obviously not too simple because I couldn't do it. But, again, keep your judgment to yourself. So, but I said, you guys think you can do it? He said, yeah, not a problem. It's a quick job. So I actually got there about 20 minutes early so I could get out on time. So I went to sit in the, um, the waiting room. Yeah, that's the devil's playroom. That's what they call that. So, so I'm in there, and I'm waiting, and they took my car right in. So I thought this should be quick, in and out. And, uh, you know, 15 minutes passed, 20 minutes passed, and I'm waiting. The car never comes out. I'm starting to get a little bit impatient. And it gets to the place. It's 2.45. Now, this is in Killen. i got to get downtown in 15 minutes. And uh, finally, I go out into the main lobby where the desk is, and I start pacing in front of the guy as if that's going to speed him up and looking at my watch and looking at him. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. But, you know, I'm like, come on, i got to go. Well, finally, at 2.58, he tells me my car's done. I mean, he kept his word. He did get me out before 3. So I get in my car, and I'm trying to zip downtown in two minutes. Now, if anybody has ever tried to go down Florence Boulevard from east to west, the devil timed those lights. You cannot love Jesus and travel those lights. I mean, those two things, Jesus, you got to get in the back seat for this part of the journey. I mean, it's because they timed them perfectly that while you're coming to a light, that when it turns green, the next one is already green. And I don't care how fast you go, because I tried to go really fast. I mean, like, oh, it turns red. And the next one, when this one turns green, the next one's still green. So you keep thinking. Like, they keep tempting you like a hook. Like, you can make it. And the whole way down, I'm like, rrr, rrr, I got like three miles to the gallon. You know, jackrabbit starts and stops all the way down. So needless to say, I get there. It's like I'm 15 minutes late to get my hair cut. And I walk in, the guy sitting there, and I said, I know you had nothing better to do but then to wait on me. Now, here's the thing is, I hate the waiting game, and I hate, other, I hate making people wait. Don't you? I mean, I, I feel bad. If I'm late for an appointment or late for something, I really hate making people wait on me. But there is something I hate even worse than that, and that's other people making me wait on them. In life, there's really two kinds of people. There are people who are a little bit earlier on time, and there are late people. How many people are, on the, are the on-time people? Like, you show up on time. Now, Jesus is watching, just so we're clear. How many people are the late people? Now, we got to give you a minute because it's going to take you a second to raise your hands. <laughs> Here's the thing, so, right? So I, I start doing a little bit of research on waiting and this idea, right? And here's what I found out. I just did this Google, like, on people being chronically late. In all the Google search, the first couple pages, it all tied back, every hit tied back to an article that was written in 2013 in a research on people who are chronically late. It was kind of cool. The title of the article is Why You're Chronically Late and What to Do About It. And I thought for a second, how can I email this to God? I mean, I think he needs to give this a read. But what was cool was this. Ultimately, in all this research, psychologists had come to the conclusion that people who are chronically late, they're wired to be late. Now, it's not an excuse to be late, and it doesn't mean you can't fix that behavior. But 
when I say it was kind of this psychological connections, here's what they pointed to. There are things kind of a part of our personality. If you're a late person, there are parts of your personality that ties you to being chronically late. For example, they said, number one, people that are chronically late, they're people that like to make an appearance. Like they like showing up late. They like like everybody's in the conference room waiting for the meeting and like you show up. People like to make an appearance. The second thing they said was this, that people who are chronically late are people that think their calendar is more important than everybody else's calendar. Here's what's funny. Y'all looking at people like, you know, I know somebody. I know exactly who you're talking about. The third thing they found out about people who are chronically late is this, is that people who are chronically late are people that are optimists. For example, someone will say it's going to take you 20 minutes because of the traffic, leave plenty of time, and they're such an optimist, they think, no, I can do it in 10. It's not a big deal. And as I'm reading through this, thinking about myself and other people, you know, I started thinking about this is really God. Because I want you to know something about God. God loves to make an appearance. God loves to show up in our darkness and be the light. God loves to show up on the platform of our problem and bring a breakthrough. God loves to show up when we need him where he can get glory and all the world can point to him. God loves to make an appearance. And I started thinking through, you know, you talk about this thing, this idea that, you know, people who are chronically late, that their calendar is more important than everybody else's. Think about what it means when you're waiting on God. Listen, God is never late. God isn't early. God isn't late. God is always on time. We feel like God is late because we're expecting God to meet our calendar. I'm just telling you, he's the sovereign Lord, not us, which means he gets to set the calendar because his calendar is more important than ours because I'm just telling you he's God and we're not. And listen, bigger than that, You want to talk about somebody who's an optimist. Our God is an optimist because he looks at the the things that we see as mountains and they're nothing for him. There is nothing too hard for him, nothing too difficult for him. He can get you a wife. He can get you a husband. He can get you a job. He can get you out of the season you're in. Anybody that has on their resume the creation of the universe has every right to be an optimist. And so, man, I I read through this and just kind of celebrating this. But, again, it's this idea That at the end of the day, it's incredibly difficult to wait. We hate to wait, again, especially when it comes to waiting on God. I say it this way, that that waiting is weighty. It's heavy. When when all of your friends around you are getting married and you're wondering, God, when are you going to bring me my special someone? When everyone around you is having kids and you and your spouse have been trying and trying and you've been praying, God, I want a kid. God, I want a kid. When is it going to happen? You're in the adoption process in six months, in a year, in two years. God, you're in the waiting game. God, when are you going to come through? God, when are you going to provide a job? Maybe you're in a difficult season of life and you're waiting for God to open a door and get you out of it. It's hard to wait. It's weighty because the longer you wait, it seems like it strips your joy. It seems like it pulls your faith. It seems like it robs your peace. What I want you to know today is we talk about the waiting game of waiting for God to show up, waiting for God to come through, the gap between what God says and what God does. In the waiting game, God's not trying to keep anything from you. God is trying to get something to you. In fact, listen to what James says. James, talking about this idea, everybody... Oh, I didn't say this. I mean, this is uh, this Christmas verse. This is this is Paul. What he thinks about the Christmas story, he says. But when the right time came, everybody say the right time. When the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that He could adopt us 
as his very own children. Again, that gap between the promised Messiah that happened for thousands of years and the time that it was born, when it finally happened, Paul describes the Christmas moment as the right time. We're going to come back to that, but James again, he says this. James says, everybody here read this, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Anybody here ever feel like your faith is being tested, like you're waiting on God to show up, waiting on God to come through, waiting for God to work something out? That's when your faith is being tested. That's when your faith is being stretched. And what James says is when that's happening, when your faith is tested, really what's happening is your endurance or your patience is having a chance to grow. So you know what he says? So let it grow. Everybody shout that. Let it For when your endurance or patience is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What he's saying is this. God is more interested in us having character than having content. What I'm telling you is this, is when God has you in a season of waiting, when you're waiting on your spouse, when you're waiting on the job, when you're waiting on the opportunity, when you're waiting for the difficult season, and God knows exactly where you are, and while you're saying, God, why don't you fix it? Why don't you bring me out? God, why don't you deliver me? Why don't you make a way? What God is doing is that waiting room is an incubator for your faith to develop. The same way you put a baby in an incubator when it's born premature, it's in there because it can't handle its environment yet. So it has to Stay in there until it grows and gets healthy and strong. See, if God got you the content, but you didn't have the character yet, you would probably lose it anyways. So what God is doing, while he's preparing the job for you, he's preparing you for the job. While he's preparing the girl you're looking for, the guy you're looking for, God's preparing you for them. See, if you get the content, but you don't have any character, you'll probably mess it up. So God allows us to stay in that season of waiting because he's developing our patience to wait on him. Because when you get the job, listen, the waiting's not over. When you get the wife, when you get the kid, the waiting's not over. You're just in a new season of waiting. But in the season you're in, God is trying to grow our character. God is trying to grow our faith. God is trying to grow our patience. And he says, if you get that, you'll be per- you won't lack anything because it's all about us having character over content. In fact, I believe this with all of my heart that what you will learn while waiting on God is almost more important than what you'll get from waiting on God. See, because God is teaching us something. God is trying to show us who he is and how faithful he is. And it's that season of waiting, while it's hard, while it's weighty, while it's difficult, while it's trying, God ultimately is doing something in and through your life. So don't negate the difficult season. God's trying to grow you. God's trying to stretch you. And while all of us hate to wait, there is something worse than waiting on God. While nobody likes to wait on God, there is something much worse than waiting on God. In fact, I'll give you two of them. There are worse things than waiting on God like not knowing you should. I don't know about anybody else. While I don't like to wait on God, I'm thankful I have a God to wait on. I'm thankful that I'm not abandoned to this life to figure it out on my own, to make it happen on my own, to find solutions on my own. I'm thankful that when I'm in need, I can run to the tower that's higher than I. I'm thankful I can run into the secret place. I'm thankful I can kick down the doors and go boldly into the throne room of grace. I'm thankful. I don't like waiting, but I'm thankful I get to go to a God who will let me wait on him. I'm thankful to be in a relationship with the creator of the universe. I'm thankful. Come on, somebody. And worse than that, there are worse things than waiting on God like not knowing you should and wishing you had. Everybody knows somebody that wishes they had waited. Married somebody, wish they had waited. 
took a job, wished they had waited, got an opportunity and wished they had waited. Solomon, one of the most wisest men who ever lived, said this, that impatience will get you in trouble. Impatience will get you in trouble. See, I just want you to know something. When, when you forfeit waiting on God, then you forfeit God's plan. And when you forfeit God's plan, it reverts back to your plan, and you can never do for you what God can do for you. So while it's hard to wait, it's always worth it to wait. Now, I'm just telling you, if you don't wait, it might work out. And while it might work out with you being impatient, I promise, listen to me, you may not regret being impatient, but I promise you will never regret waiting on God. You'll always be glad you waited when you wait and God comes through and brings that right person, brings that right opportunity. When God sets you free and said, are you trying to make it in your own strength? I know lots of people. I'm telling you, listen, my counseling couch is filled with people who have problems that I most, almost always can track back to people who are impatient that did things in their own strength, that pushed the door down that wasn't ready to be opened, that tried to do it in their own way. Listen, don't marry the first person that looks at you. Come on, guys, don't marry the first girl that bats an eyelash at you. Ladies, don't marry the first, the first guy who will give you his phone number. Don't marry the first person. Don't take the first job. Listen, wait for God because there's a season. Why we don't like to wait, we hate to wait. We feel like God has spoken to us. We feel like God has promised something to us. We feel like the opportunity or season we're in, man, we're always glad we waited. I can tell you from my own life that I've, I could tell you lots and lots and lots of stories, but one that stands out is um, when we were transitioning, my wife and I, out of youth ministry and stepping into becoming a lead pastor, 28 years old, um, we interviewed an opportunity that God gave us, and we went and on paper, if I wrote down on paper probably everything I wanted, it was everything we wanted. It was a church that was relatively close to home and family. It was only about a half hour away, so we were far, far enough away that it was kind of our own area, but it's close enough we could easily get home. We had young kids at that time. Um, it was in a very affluent area. It was in an up-and-coming area. Um, as people were moving out of Cleveland, they were moving south, so the population was booming and exploding. It was a small church, which is really what I wanted because you can do more sometimes in a small church. It's a little easier to steer, steer a small ship than a big ship. They had several million dollars in the bank, and they were planning on building a building. So to go into this, I thought, man, that's a great opportunity. And we interviewed, and I went into it hoping I would get this position. And uh, we walked out. It was a great interview. And as we're leaving, uh, I told these people, listen, let me pray about it for a week. You all pray about it, and we'll talk. This was on a Saturday. We'll talk next Saturday. And uh, we're walking out the door, and two of the board members come chasing us out to our car. Listen, we, we just prayed, man, and we just feel so good about you. Like, we, we believe you're our pastor. Will you come? Will you be our pastor? And I said, listen, I need time to pray about it. I need time to know that this is God. Like, give us, give us a week, and we'll let you know. We drive home. We're about 45 minutes away from where the church was to our, to our home where we were in youth, youth pastoring. We get home, and the phone rings. You know who it is? It's this board. Listen, we know that we told you we would give you time, but man, we, we feel so passionately that you are supposed to be our pastor, man. This is, we're excited about our future. Will you please come? And I told him, I said, listen, I need time. Here's what's crazy is the whole time I'm trying to shut this door, I feel like this is a great opportunity. But I felt like the Lord saying, wait, wait, wait. And so I said, listen, give me till Saturday. We'll talk. Well, Two or three days later, I believe it was on a Thursday, I get a phone call from him. Listen, I know we said we would give you a little Saturday. 
You've had several days, man. We want you to come. And I felt like on that phone call, I felt like the Lord say, you need to close this door. Now, here's the thing. It's the only door I had. When you're 28 years old, there were not a lot of 28-year-old pastors leading churches in the state of Ohio. So I thought, you know, while I knew that's not what God had for me, it's what I had. It was an open door. Come on, somebody. And I thought, you know, I don't know where it's at in Scripture that one in the hand is worth two, you know, better than two in the bush. I think that's in the book of Job or something. I was like, God... I know you're telling me to close this door, but I don't have another door to work, walk through. And I just felt like God saying, wait on me. Impatience will get you in trouble. And so, listen, I told these people, I said, listen, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm going to have to tell you no. I just feel like God's telling me to say no. And so hung up the phone. And when I hung up the phone, like before it was hung up, I'm like, no, wait a minute. And I hung it up. Next day, phone rings and God opened an opportunity for us to go to our first church and pastor. And we were there for 12 years and seen that church grow from about 35 people to 500. God did a great work. And I knew it was God. It's always worth waiting. You'll never regret waiting on God. And so you say, well, how do you do it, man? How, how do you get to this place where you can wait? Again, it's worth waiting for it. While you're waiting, God is developing you and growing you, but how do you do it? Here's what David said. David said in the book of Psalm 37, he said, be still in the presence of the Lord. You can't be still and be busy trying to make it in your own strength. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. You say, how do you do it? Ultimately, the way you make it through the waiting room of life, the way you play the waiting game is by faith. And the way you build your faith is through a relationship of learning to trust God. See, if you're brand new to spiritual things and brand new to faith, it might be a little harder for you. But generally, I have found people who are new to faith don't have a lot of expectations. But as you move in your spiritual journey, here's what I have found out. Is that the longer I serve God, the more I get to know God. And the more I find out, find out about God, the more I find that He is faithful. I've been serving God for 25 years. And you know what I have for 25 years to show for serving him? 25 years of stories of God promising and showing up, God breaking through, God giving opportunities, God manifesting dreams, God bringing growth, God doing miracles, God healing people. I've got 25 years where God has said something and God brought it to fruition. While I was waiting, I can look back and say, God was faithful there. He'll be faithful here. And then God showed up. And then I moved back. God was faithful there. God was faithful there. God's going to be faithful here. Every one of you in this room, you have stories in your life. You have seasons in your life. You have testimonies in your life where God is faithful. So the way you can remain in the waiting room is not by just standing there fretting, but by looking back at God's faithfulness. See, because God's past faithfulness and his testimony in your life is the seed of perseverance for you to experience the next testimony of God's faithfulness in your life. And so I just want you to know something. You need to replay those stories. It's funny as a pastor, uh, you know, sometimes I think about stories I need to share here on the platform or conversations I'll get into with friends. And it's funny how I, I will forget about significant moments. I'll forget about things that, that God's done in my life. And someone will say something and it'll spark a story. And I start talking about, man, I forgot. Man, let me tell you what God did in my life. And I'll start go rehearsing a story. And it's, it's amazing to me what God has done. It's amazing to me how faithful God has been. It's amazing to me how God has provided for me and met for me and opened opportunities for me. I'm telling you, God has never failed to be faithful. And if he's never failed in the past, he won't fail in the future. So I can wait because I've got confidence he'll show up. So the 
people of Israel, right, they struggle with this. God makes a promise to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt. This entire people group, they're slaves to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. They're waiting, 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 they're waiting for a deliverer. Some way, same way some of you are waiting. Waiting for a spouse, waiting for a kid, waiting for a job, waiting for an opportunity, waiting for a way out. They're waiting. And God finally responds because God is faithful. God sends Moses, and Moses brings them. The promise was that he would bring them out of Egypt into the promised land. Well, God keeps the first part of the promise, and he delivers them out of the land of Egypt. At this point, the nation of Israel is being led by Moses. They're in the wilderness. They're not in the promised land yet. And like you and I, they hate the waiting game. And the longer they wait, the more uncomfortable they get. And then the Bible says this about the nation of Israel. But the people grew, come on, say it, impatient with the long journey. So what did they do? They began to speak against God and Moses. I have to wonder, what did they say against God? See, because what's most crazy to me is while they grew impatient, and I get it because I grow impatient, while they grew impatient waiting to get in the promised land, they had already forgotten that God delivered them from the slave land. I'm telling you, if you will keep in focus God's faithfulness in your past, it will be what you need to make it through the waiting room. And they had so quickly forgotten what God had done. I... um, I was at the doctors, I would say in the recent past, so nobody tries to track down what doctors, but went to the doctors at one point, and it's hard. How many people know it's hard waiting in a doctor's office in the waiting room? Like, no, it's not my favorite part of, of life. And so I went to this doctor's, I had an appointment, and I showed up about 15 minutes early, and I get there, and I check in, and they give me a pager and say, go sit down. So I go sit down, and my appointment time comes, 1 o'clock. So I'm waiting any second now. I'm like speaking to my pager. You're going to go off now. <laughs> and, uh, and so 15 minutes passes, 20 minutes pass, half hour passes. And so I've been there 45 minutes. It's 30 minutes past my appointment. Nobody said a word. So I walk up to the desk and I was like, I think my pager's broke. They said, no, your pager's not broke. We're just behind. You can go have a seat. And I said, well, you just ring my, just make sure, just buzz it. Let's just send a test signal, make sure it works. And so I buzz or say, yeah, it's good. So go sit down. So I go back and sit down. And uh, another 15 minutes passes, another half hour passes. I've been sitting there now for an hour and 15 minutes. It's an hour past my appointment. I'm growing steadily unhappy by the moment. At some point, I ask, do they know who I am? (laughs) I I didn't ask. I was kidding. (laughs) But like, I mean, I'm sitting there. I'm like, it's been an hour. Like, you know, what are they doing? And so I get up and I go back and I'm like, "Um, so so where are we at? Like, give give me the 411. Where are we at in this thing? Well, we're behind a little bit. Obviously, thanks for that intake. I didn't pick that up. Just go sit down. We'll buzz you when it's ready. So I go sit back down, and uh, another half hour passes. I know this is a long story. It was even longer waiting, I'm telling you. So, so I'm sitting there waiting, and another half hour passes. I've been there 90. I've been there actually, you know, an hour and 45 minutes, an hour and a half past my appointment. And I start thinking because not only is your buzzer supposed to buzz, but they call your name. Husky. Now, it's real loud in there, you know. I guess as you get older, you lose some hearing. So I thought, well, I'm 45 at that point. Maybe I'm not hearing as well. Maybe they called my name and I missed it. So I go back up to the desk. 
Did they call my name and I missed? I didn't buzz. I know he did the test buzz thing, but did they call me? No, they didn't call your name, Mr. Husky. We're just backed up. Please go have a seat. So I go back and sit down at two hours. I was there two hours. And that's all I could take. And, and I walked out. <laughs> but here's the thing is, and, and so here, some of you guys have done this. Isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy how while we want the doctor to give us extra attention in the exam room, we don't like the doctor making us wait in the waiting room. So we want the extra attention. We just don't want anybody else to get it. Don't you like it when you can call a doctor and say, Doc, I'm sick, and he says, listen, I'm booked. I can't get you until next week. Don't you like it when you can beg on the sympathy and compassion of a physician? He'll say, listen, I can squeeze you in today. Don't you love it when a doctor squeezes you in at his emergency appointment and makes other people wait? But don't you hate it when they squeeze other people in in front of you and make you wait? See, the problem isn't the waiting game. The problem is us. See, we are impatient. We don't have it in us to wait for things to unfold. And here's the real indictment. While I'm sitting here this whole time, I started asking myself this question. I think I might have actually said it out loud a couple times. What are they doing back there? Like, what are you, like, two hours. What are you doing back there? As if, now listen, I know, see, it's my problem. As if they're back there with their feet uh, kicked up, drinking tea and crumpets. As if they're back there, like, you know, Doc has his legs kicked up, taking a, a, a cigar break. No, they're back there working their tails off, trying to meet the needs of people, trying to take their gifts and capacity and gifts and talents and education to help hurting humanity. And here I am out here impatient. Listen, we got a lot of doctors and nurses and healthcare people. Can we show them some love for the love that they show us for real? But here's how I thought looking back on that story is that When, you're in, when you deal with impatience, really you're, you're questioning their competence. What are you doing? What are you doing? And I thought about times, I may not have said that to God, but I feel that, God, what are you doing? As if God just doesn't care about me, as if God's not involved in my life. God, what are you doing? Do you know what God is doing? God is moving in the circumstances of my life while I'm in the waiting room. He's busy in the, he's busy in the exam room getting me ready to come in for my appointment. It's not appointment time yet or he would call me, but God is working. God is working in the background and he's working in the background of your life for the right season, for the right time, for the right moment. God is faithful in the past. God will be faithful in the future. You just got to be patient in between and you got a whole history of God being faithful to keep you company while you're waiting. So I want to go back to where we started with the Christmas story, because here's how it all comes together. See, God always had a plan to rescue humanity, but God also always had a perfect timing. So you've got to ask yourself a question. Why did God wait? Some people say 6,000 years between the promised Messiah between the proclamation and fruition, between when God said it and when God... Why did God wait 6,000 years? Like, why wasn't the Messiah born 4,000 years ago? Why 2,000? Why wasn't he born 3,000 years ago? Why wasn't he born... Why was he born 2,000 years ago and not 1,000 years ago? Remember what Paul says about the Christmas story, about the birth of the Messiah? Read it with me one more time. He says, but when the right time came, God sent his son. What made that the right time? See, what you may not know, again, is for 
Literally, several thousand years, God was making promises of sending a Savior, of sending a Messiah. And so the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, they're waiting patiently. They're wondering, when is God going to come through? When is God going to show up? Again, the season between declaration and fruition, from when God says it to when God does it, the waiting room, they're in the waiting room, they're playing the waiting game. The Bible says at the right time. Let me talk to you about the right time because between the Old Testament closing and the New Testament opening, from the time you turn the last page of the book of Malachi until you turn the first page of the book of Matthew, that single page that divides the Old Testament and the New Testament, is what people call the 400 years of silence. For years, God was prophesying and promising, I'm going to send a deliverer. I'm going to send the prophet. I'm going to send, like, I'm going to do it. And then one day, God stops talking. No more promises. No more prophecies. God just stops. And then all of a sudden, 400 years later, the Messiah comes. Like, after all this waiting, he came. Well, what was God doing while they were waiting and he wasn't talking. I'm glad you asked. Because while it looked like God wasn't there, God was busy in the background of humanity setting up the perfect time for the Messiah to be born. Let me just give you a few things that happened in those 400 years. There were several key um, global powers in that region of the world. Some of you guys may know it who maybe studied Daniel or world history. There was the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire. During the time of the 400 years of silence, at one point the Persians were in power and they were taken over by the Greeks by a guy you might recognize his name, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great comes into power. He sweeps the Persians out. While he's the emperor, he makes a declaration. His declaration is this, that he wants everyone underneath his rule, which at that time was the largest empire on earth, he wants everyone in his rule to speak a common language. Everybody spoke their own language, their own dialect. He wanted to be able to talk. If he sent a message, he didn't want any need for interpreters, especially inside of his military powers. So he declared that everybody inside of his kingdom speaks the same language. Do you know what language he chose? Koine Greek. So for the first time, everyone in the known world could speak the same language. The the Greek empire gets overtaken by the Roman empire. And two things the Roman Empire did that are pretty significant during the 400 years of silence just before Jesus was born was this. Up until that time, again, kingdoms were clashing against kingdoms. And not just kingdoms against kingdoms, but inside of the Persian kingdom, inside of the Greek kingdom, inside of the Roman kingdom, there were civil wars fighting for their own freedom. But something happened under the might of the Roman military called the the Pax Romana. It was the Roman peace. It was almost 250 years of peace. There was no fighting. There was no infighting. There was relative peace, which means people were comfortable traveling because they knew they weren't going to get killed. The third thing the Roman Empire, the second thing the Roman Empire did, the third thing that happened in this this 400 years of silence is the Roman Empire developed for the first time a very significant roadway system, waterway system. And so here's what I want you to see. Watch this. These three things, a common language, military peace, and improved transportation system. You know what God did? God set up the perfect time because when you have an important announcement that needs to go out, you want everybody speaking the same language. Do you know what language the New Testament's written in? Koine Greek, the common tongue of the day. 
And the message to go out, people had to be willing to take it. They had to feel like they were at peace. Well, there was a peace. And there were roadways where people could easily access. God, listen to this. Y'all got to get this. God worked in the hearts of kings and kingdoms to set everything in order for the perfect time, the right time for his son to be born, that the good news could go forth. And here we are 2,000 years later because it was the right time. Had he been born too early, the message probably wouldn't have got out and we wouldn't be saved. But because God is a God of timing, it happened at the right time. I'm telling you, God has a right time for the season of your life. Let me say it one more way and we'll close. So how many people here have been, um, have been to a, uh, a parade, a real parade, like a big parade? So we went, the first real big parade I, I got to see, and we didn't go to see the parade. We visited New York City for the first time, and we'd already planned to go several months out. Well, during the time of our planning, the New York Yankees won the World Series. And so it just happened to be that while we were up there during our time visiting, that they had the World Series parade in New York City. I'm just telling you, there is not much cooler than seeing a World Series parade inside the city of New York. I mean, it was very, very cool. But there was a time... It was better than that, and that was in 2016, the summer of 2016, uh, a friend of mine made it possible for me to get up to Cleveland, my hometown, my home stomping grounds, and see LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers win their first, um, for their first title. And so I got to go into Cleveland and see the Cleveland Cavaliers parade. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Hundreds of thousands of people. And so I, I just want to show you this. Watch this. I'm going to show you how this works. So everybody that's been at a parade, you know this, that you find your spot on the street, right? I need, I need seven or eight people real quick. Just come help me, seven or eight people. And just stand right here and face this direction. Just stand and face this direction. And get a little bit apart. That's great. That's great. So anybody that's been at a parade, right, you get your part on the sidewalk and a little, you know, little piece. And you can't see, like once they're by you, there's so many people you can't see in front of you. And you can't really see what's coming yet. You can only see what's right in front of you. Well, here's what you need to know. I had my phone, and I planned on taking a bunch of pictures. Well, I had taken pictures in the morning, pictures getting on the plane, pictures getting off of the plane, pictures of the crowd. Then when it came time for the parade, I had killed my battery. I had almost no battery left. And number two, I didn't have a signal in, in the city of Cleveland. Can you believe it? I didn't have a signal, which means I didn't have access to the cloud. So the only storage capacity I had was left on my phone. How many people know you keep way too many pictures on your phone? So I didn't have hardly any capacity, and I didn't have any battery. So here I am thinking, I got maybe two good shots to take. When do I take the right shot? When is the right time? When is the right moment? So here I am, I'm standing. Y'all walk by me just kind of slow. So I'm like, well, there's J.R. Smith. I mean, I, I don't, but who else is coming? Iman Shepard. Like I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the right time. All I can see is what's right in front of me. All I can see is what's right in front of me. Y'all hang there. See, because our perspective is limited is what makes us impatient. Because we're afraid if we let it pass by, maybe the best is gone. Maybe the best guy's gone. The best job is gone. The best And so sometimes we take something too soon because we don't know something better's coming because we can only see what's in front of us. Someone else has a better view than us. See, the God we serve, in Scripture, he has several titles. One of his titles is El Elyon. Y'all come back where you started. El Elyon. El Elyon means the most high God. You know what that means? That means the God we serve has a perspective that you don't have. While you can only see what's in front of you in the moment you're in, the time you're in, the season you're in, the day you're in, God sees everything. So he's like, don't take the picture, something's better coming. Don't take that picture, something better's coming. There's the shot. 
And what you have to do is learn to trust that God sees what you can't see, knows what you don't know, and can do what you can't do. And when you learn to tap into God's voice and trust his faithfulness, you will never miss an opportunity. And you'll live your life by the right time. Imagine what God can see that you can't see. We get to serve El Elyon. And while we hate waiting, we get to wait on a God who knows what we don't know and is willing for the good of his children to share that information. Imagine the perspective he has on your life. He knows exactly who the right guy is, exactly what the right job is, exactly when the right opportunity is. He knows when you're going to get out of that bad circumstance. He knows the right time to quit the job, the right time to take the next job. God knows when to write the book. God knows when to do it. Are you all hearing what I'm telling you today? God knows. So with that in mind, I didn't share the scripture with anybody else, and we'll close with this. In light of everything I said, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good, for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. See, God's not forgotten you. He's not abandoned you. God knows. God knows where you're at, what you're going through, what you're waiting for, what you're praying for. God knows. But the same way he knows, you got to learn to wait and trust. And while it's hard, you'll never regret waiting. So, Father, I pray for every person in this room. God, all of us at different times of our lives are waiting for different things. But, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, we will learn to patiently wait on you. That, God, while it's hard, while it stretches us, while it's weighty to wait, God will never regret it. So, God, teach us patience. Develop us while we wait. And God, I pray, Lord, in that opportunity, you'll show yourself faithful one more time. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen.